0: Welcome to another episode of Working Class. I'm here with a very special guest, Danielle Roberts, a.k.a. the anti-career coach. She's also the CEO and founder of the Anti-Career Academy, where she gives some advice that you might not have heard before. But damn it, I think we need to hear it. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to start off right out with the hot topics here. We're going to talk about you in a minute, but you made a claim on another podcast that I thought was incredibly interesting. You said dream jobs don't exist. Now as someone who, yeah, in my opinion, I've had at least three dream jobs that I can think of. So part of me says, well, obviously dream jobs exist. People want to be astronauts. They want to be YouTubers. They want to be firefighters. Um, What the heck do you mean? Dream jobs don't exist.
1: I say dream jobs don't exist because a job is a circumstance outside of yourself, right? You had several dream jobs and you are no longer in them. So as a society, we really need to rethink what we classify as a dream and dreaming of labor in our society is not it when you are hustling to barely make ends meet. So, My approach, rather than helping people find a dream job, which traditional career coaches do, my work aims to help people center themselves in their work instead. So any career path they pursue, it's a reflection Mm -hmm. of what's really true and meaningful and authentic to them.
0: That's interesting. It sounds like you're saying instead of pursuing a specific title or a salary or an industry, it's about... Oh, gosh, this sounds so new age. It's about personal development, like just becoming the kind of person you want to be. And your job is a supplement to that. Am I close?
1: Yes. It's about work life coherence, right? We spend so many hours of our days at work. So if it's something that doesn't align with our values or doesn't capitalize on our natural Mm -hmm. strengths and help us lean into our zone of genius, it's going to wind up contributing to that burnout and overwhelm that so many people are experiencing. Because one of the things that I hear is like, I have all of these skills. I have a lifetime full of experience. What is the job title that I need to search for next that's finally going to make me happy? And that's not the right question to ask. It's how do I I express more of myself and really like what I was put on this earth to do in my career so I can be my most authentic self in as many areas of my life as possible, my career included.
0: That makes a lot of sense. The importance of being your authentic self. I mean, that sounds so Disney. That sounds so rah-rah. Like it sounds nice, but is it really real life? Because at the end of the day, you may not dream of labor, but you got to get your bills paid. And work is work and it's not always going to be pleasant, even if you really like your job. I like what I do. I have painful moments in this job, too, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So you're giving up the best part of every day for a job, eight to 10 hours of the best parts of the day. I mean, are there some warning signs that you're in a job that's draining you more than helping you?
1: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, if you have those Sunday scaries and you are dreading every single Monday... That is a clear telltale sign. If you are finding yourself wishing that you would get sick just so you can get Ugh. a break, that is a telltale sign. If you are not engaged with any mm-hmm. of the work that you are doing and you are procrastinating, putting everything off until the last minute, that's a telltale sign that you are not doing the work that you are meant to be doing. Are, and, are
0: any of these, not to cut you off, Danielle, but I I got to get this in. Um, are any of these signs that you're just lazy
1: I don't believe in laziness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that laziness is really manufactured by capitalism to make us be more productive and make us hustle toward this arbitrary end goal that they want all of us to meet. And I think that it is like when we feel lazy, that is just capitalism, capitalism talking. It's saying if you are not using every single idle hour working, then you are of no value. When in reality... Like we need to rest. We need to refill our cups. We are human beings, and if we don't do that, we can't show up to do our best work.
0: Wow, Um, I got to say that speaks to me a little bit because even as a workers' rights advocate, as CEO of my firm, I mean, there's probably a lot of people who see what I do and think, "Wow, Ryan is successful," and I am. I, I I make good money, and I'm I'm pretty happy with my life. But you know. I think it's almost every day I have a little voice in the back of my head that says, you didn't fill every hour, dude. You took 15 minutes. You were supposed to post a video. And the next thing you know, you're you're scrolling and you wasted your time and you're not working hard enough. Now, I'll be quite candid. Um, that voice sounds like my dad. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds like my dad's voice talking to me. So I'm not saying it's daddy issues or whatever it is. But um, I mean, do you have that voice, too?
1: Yeah. And the question I would ask is, and you kind of answered it with, you know, your daddy's voice in your head. Like, where did you learn that? (laughs) We have to start questioning some of the things that we think and where it comes from, because oftentimes it's not true. It's just a reflection Mm. of the things that we've heard and our programming growing up. Because like when we're young, we're taught that money and social status and all of these achievements are like the hallmark of success. So Mm -hmm. we believe that that if we do those things, if we pursue those things, that's what's going to make us happy. And if we haven't achieved it yet, it's just an us problem and we're not working hard enough. So that's where we feel that like guilt and the shame of I can't rest. I can't sit and watch this Netflix series that is really interesting to me because there's work that I could be doing. Um, So I think it's I think it's. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it is what what would you say are some of the you mentioned a few of them but what do you think are some of those i'll call them core values and just for ease of discussion we'll call them a uh, core value core capitalist values i guess i i don't know if that's accurate it might change it but what would you say are some of the core capitalist values that hold people back or make them feel bad about themselves um I mean, the first one that we brought up was the need to fill every hour of every day and show a full calendar and show that you didn't take a single moment to slack off hmm. There, there I go again, saying slacking off. And that's not really what it was. So help help me out here. What are some of these core limiting beliefs, these core capitalist values that we need to work on?
1: Yeah, um, that your self-worth is equal to your productivity, like you said, mm-hmm. um, that money is the indicator of success. Like we need mm-hmm. money to live, of course, but there will always be more money to make. So simultaneously, never enough. So the goalpost is always going to be moving um, all of the shit you can buy with said money. So the bigger the house, the nicer the car, the nicer the clothes, that that is what's going to make people desire you and make you feel validated. Um, what else beauty, right? By society standards, mm-hmm. investing your money into things that are going to make you come off a certain way to people, um, and we really need to, and they're all circumstances outside of yourself, right? The job.
0: I was going to say there's a theme, these all seem to be external. And it sounds like if you're the kind of person where you're like, hey, I need to make sure that I'm wearing a nice watch, I'm wearing designer clothes, I have the best purse, I, I have the best hair, it, maybe it's for you to an extent. I think there's something to be said for if you look good, you feel good, you do good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's true. I think there's truth to it. But if you're constantly seeking external validation, you're hoping for an award from your company, a nice email from your boss, you're trying to get lots of likes on Instagram. Is there any end to that? I mean, is there any point where you thought, wow, I have gotten enough attention outside and now I am fulfilled?
1: Not if those internal pieces are missing. You're constantly going to be searching for it. Like you can have those things, but is it self-focused? Is it so the question that I ask is, am I doing this because I love myself or I hate myself?
0: Wow. Right? Wait <laughs> like, a minute.
1: Do I want that, that, this watch that, because I love myself and it makes me feel confident? Oh. Or do I want this watch because you
0: just blew my mind? Do <laughs> I love am I doing this because I love myself or am I hate myself? That's interesting because there's a lot of people who subscribe to hustle culture who would describe themselves as type A, ultra confident, ultra high achieving. There was a time in my life where I admit, I mean, I I almost think every young man in his 20s gets on that train at some point, the the whole entrepreneur thing. Um, And you keep telling yourself you're confident, you're powerful, and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to build this my way. But it does become kind of um, a, a self-loathing because no matter how hard you're working, there's always someone who has more than you, and you feel right. that until you get to their level or or beat their level, you're not good enough. So I'm gonna sit here and make another business plan until one a.m. I mean, what purpose does that serve? It's so help me understand. What is the difference between doing something because you love yourself and because you hate yourself?
1: So to use your example, like if you are creating that business because Mm -hmm. you want to get validation and be like Mm -hmm. all of the other people doing it external facing rather than feeling fulfilled yourself or feeling confident yourself, like that's the difference. Am I, am I going to the gym and killing myself in workouts because I subscribe to some societal standard of beauty and success, or am I doing it because I know when I invest in my wellness, I feel great.
0: Right. I like that as someone who started getting more into fitness recently. Um, I I was when I was younger and I fell off the wagon in law school and I tried to get back on, um, A Fitness trainer I follow on Instagram who I'm I'm, their name is escaping me right now. Hopefully I remember. But they said every time you go and do an exercise, you're telling your body I love you. And I was like, that's nice because, you know, there's some people go in there and they're so they take it too far. They're like trying to punish themselves. I ate too much yesterday, so I need to really push it and make myself feel pain or I'm Mm -hmm. ugly and no girl is going to want me until I get big muscles because I'm not good enough. Like that's not what it should be going Mm -hmm. to the gym. If you're able to do so, thank God. What a privilege. If you're able to do so, it should be your opportunity to say, hey, body, I love you.
1: Yeah. Like you are the vehicle that allows me to show up in my life, my career, my Mm. relationships. Am I going to treat myself with kindness or am I going to like push myself and talk negatively about myself in every manner I possibly can? Because your your brain is going to believe anything that you tell it. Your brain is just a mm. problem-solving device that's designed to keep you alive. And it's going to take whatever inputs you give it, whether that's la- that language is positive or negative, and it's going to try and create those connections. Your brain wants to trust yeah. you. And when you give it negative information to trust, whether that is your overall quality of life or your career, it's going to believe it. It's going to look for those things to reinforce those beliefs and those thoughts. It's and if that's where you people tell yourself, really Oh, go ahead. No, no, please finish really, Danielle. No, it's when people get really stuck in their career and this is the way things are always going to be. And I have no agency or control over mm-hmm. my career and my happiness in life. Everything happens to me and I have no control over it whatsoever.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that describes a lot of people, this idea that I don't have control. Some people might take it a step further and, and start to turn inward on themselves and think, you know, I'm living paycheck to paycheck because I suck because I go on Instagram and everyone's telling me, oh, you don't have an income problem. You have a spending problem. You know, I, I, I bought the good vegetables and that's why I don't have any money. Uh, I'm an idiot. I'm dumb. Everyone else is better than me. And then what happens is you start looking for reinforcement of those beliefs in the outside world. You didn't mm-hmm. get the raise you hoped for? Oh, it's because I didn't work hard enough. Mm-hmm. Your your bills went up and you can't keep up? Oh, it's because I'm stupid. It. I got to say, I got to be completely honest with you, Danielle. There, there was a period in my life where that describes me a little bit. There was a point in my 20s where I felt so stuck and I had that mental health spiral where I started to really turn on myself and say, hey, Ryan, you're you're in this bad space because you suck and you need to stop sucking so bad. Some people claim that that sort of negative reinforcement works for them. But I got to be honest, I don't think it works for the average person.
1: It might work for a little while, but it's going to catch up to you. Like it becomes like almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Mm. Like you said, you're going to look for that evidence and then you're going to if you don't believe you can find a new job like to your core, because you are not qualified because you don't have the skills to make that transition possible without going back to school or taking a huge pay cut then you're gonna go on LinkedIn, search for jobs that only align with what you're doing now. You're gonna spend two minutes customizing your resume and networking. You're gonna submit your application, get a rejection, and say, "See, I'm not qualified."
0: But you only <laughs> put in two minutes of effort, right? So wait a minute. So I, I've seen this happen before. I've had people come to me and say, "You know, Ryan, what you're preaching is bullshit." I It's so hard to get a new job and I'm not saying it isn't everyone's locality is different and it can be legitimately hard for people, but sometimes not all the time the person maybe they're afraid maybe you can help me understand why they do this they go on LinkedIn they hit the easy apply feature. It's like a Mm -hmm. button you click. I think you might fill in a a bubble or two and you can apply to a hundred jobs in like 20 minutes and they'll come to me like I applied to a hundred jobs. It's impossible because I worked at Wendy's my whole life and no one wants me. I'm not good enough. See these self-limiting beliefs start circulating in their head and they Mm -hmm. say I was rejected a hundred times. Isn't this proof that I'm no good? What would you say to that person, Danielle?
1: I would ask them, are you no good?
0: Well, I think they might come back to you and say, yes, I am. I was rejected a lot and I make minimum wage. Clearly, I suck. I mean, when someone is stuck in that mindset, it's so hard to wake them up and, and show them that you have value as a person outside of your wage and outside of these rejections.
1: Absolutely. And first of all, the job market is trash right now. It yeah. is insane. It, it is hard to look for a job and it is also hard to stay stuck Uh In in these jobs you hate and tell these stories to yourself about yourself, about why Uh you suck. So it's going to be hard to break into new industries, but it's also going to be hard staying in the space that you are in now. So in those scenarios, when I I have many clients who come to me doing that exact same thing, I've been in this career industry for 10 years. I don't have value to articulate to an employer. I don't know how to do this. I've applied to 100 jobs and I have received 100 rejections in three months. That's hard. That will take mm-hmm. a toll on anybody. But it's like, okay, let's be positive and generative about this. And let's like a, take a look at your personal branding materials. Is your zone of genius reflected in these personal branding m- materials to make you stand out among other qualified candidates? What are mm-hmm. the stories that brought you to this moment that would make you the perfect hire, the only hire for this? What relationships can you build? How can you engage in this process of exp- exploration and experimentation to gather Mm -hmm. evidence about what works, about what we need to change, about what the next best step to take is in your career path planning. Because if you're submitting all those applications, not getting any response, that's telling me your personal branding materials need work, that you need to pair your application with networking and building relationships. And we need to maybe diversify where we're looking for jobs at.
0: (sighs) What do you mean when you say personal branding? Because the average person or not average, because many people who live private lives are very above average. Um, But let's say just the most common type of person doesn't have a personal website. They don't have a TV show. They don't have a PR team. That's not that's not really normal. So what do you mean personal brand?
1: You have a personal brand, whether or not you know it. (laughs) And it's basically what other people think about you or would say about you when you're not in the room. And are you playing a part in crafting that narrative or are you letting other people make assumptions about you? Your personal brand is not just what you do. It's not Mm -hmm. just your skills. It's how you do it and why you do it. So it's a combination of your skills, your natural strengths and your values.
0: It sounds like if you're in a negative self-talk spiral you're going to have a very hard time winning on the personal brand front because your internal dialogue, I have experienced this. We might talk about it later in the show. Your internal dialogue spills out. Mm -hmm. And eventually those thoughts you have, I'm no good, I'm bad. My boss makes more than me because he's better than me. I'm never going to make it. It's too hard. Those thoughts, if you think them long enough, they come out. And they affect the way you treat other people. And that's the real tragedy of it is when you Mm -hmm. start treating people around you badly, you get Mm -hmm. bitter, you get mean, you get short, you become like Eeyore. So, I mean, the personal brand, it sounds like you're talking about reputation. Is it the same thing?
1: In a sense, yeah, so it's what other people will say think and say about you when you are not in the room, but it's also about how you embody your zone of genius. Mm-hmm. and when you are in that negative headspace and you are having a hard time figuring out what the hell to say that's nice about yourself, like you do need to call on your resources and ask for help because no one is meant to go through life alone. You're not mm-hmm. meant to navigate career transitions on your own and you need to reach out to your friends, your community, your family, your therapist for support and try and get yourself into that more positive and generative space. Because it's gonna be a cumulative effect of every small step forward that you take, even when those steps feel hard.
0: Yeah, so people I was, underestimate I was, how valuable the small steps are. What was that, Danielle?
1: I, I was very much in the same headspace as you several years ago. Like I did not have very positive thoughts in my twenties. I, you know, on the outside looked like i was killing it in my career i was that type a high achiever and i wanted to climb the corporate ladder and it was really like faking it till i made it and trying to like put this facade out and it caught up to me eventually where i like had an identity crisis and i did not know who i was without my job i didn't know who i was if i couldn't figure out and handle my own shit by myself and it took me reaching out to my friends and saying like hey like get a little vulnerable here. I don't think I'm doing so hot and I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what, what do you think I should do? And I asked a couple of people that I trusted and I just took those steps that they recommended one foot in front of the other. And in a couple of years, like really tra- changed the trajectory of my entire life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like, it, is that work worth it to do? You know? And I, my answer is Yes.
0: It sounds like the first step was you asking friends um for their input. Mm-hmm. There there's two sides to that coin. One, make sure you're talking to the right people because if you're around other people who are negative toxic, they're 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 not gonna help you out. But was there a point, this is the second part, was there a, was there a point where you realized that you had hit a breaking point?
1: Yes. So it was 2014. And I remember because I was at a conference um, Mm -hmm. for the when I was working. I was working in higher education and I it was a year after my mom died and Uh I was at this conference. I was looking around. I was perfect on paper job and all these people were mingling. And I was just like, I don't belong here. I don't know where I belong. I am trying to fill this void that has been left by my mom's death. And I, th- I keep trying to work harder and expecting that when I do, then everything's going to be good. But I just like felt empty. And I remember I left the conference. I went outside. I called my friends and I said, like, I know you are going to therapy. Like, can I have the number of your therapist? And also, here's how I'm feeling right now. Like, can we just talk?
0: What did it feel like? First of all, I'm, I'm so sorry about your mom. Um Thanks. And especially, you know, here in America, it's, it's so hard to have space to heal from things like that.
1: Three days you of bereavement get your two weeks leave. off if you're
0: lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, two weeks is the upper limit if you're lucky. And then everyone expects you to just get over it and not talk about it. But grief follows you for years.
1: Forever. It still follows me to this day. Like, I know how to navigate it now, but I didn't then. And I said, like... You know, I'm just going to keep my head down, keep it moving. Maybe I just need a different job that has better work-life balance. Maybe I just need to be closer to home to spend more time with my family. But I kept trying to just change boxes over the years. And I never, it always came up short. And I never changed how I operated within the context of those environments.
0: That makes sense. I, I want to go back to that conference day because that sounds like it was probably not the only moment. It was probably your breaking point. You, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you'd been kind of carrying a weight with you for many days up until that conference. So take me back to that day. Where was it and what were you feeling? Like, what did it feel like when you realized, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this is a, this is a breaking point for me?
1: Um, so it was, I believe I was in Virginia at a conference and we were there to accept an award that was a direct result of the work that I was doing for the organization that I was working for. And it should have been, (coughs) excuse me, um, a high moment. And I literally felt empty. Like I, it should have been this moment that was super positive that I was proud of myself and I felt more lost and stuck and directionless than I had ever been.
0: Even though you had won an award, what what was the award? Do you remember what it was? It was a, it was a while ago.
1: Um, I think it was, a, I think it was Case District Two accolades for excellence in student communication. Because I had well, worked kid in marketing dream about
0: that. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I, I worked in education for over five years. Higher education worked in ed tech for a little while because I really like. One of the things that I love doing now is I love supporting students and career changers and adult learners find fulfilling paths for themselves. And I was getting noticed for it, but I was working in corporate social media at the time. Like I was a marketer and I just never had I never felt more disconnected with my purpose and what I was trying to do. Um, So it was a very, very low moment for me.
0: Why do you think that was? Because all of the external factors that a lot of us are chasing were there. It sounds like you were making good money. It sounds like you had one of those really cool grown up jobs where you get to fly to a conference and stay in a hotel and wear a cool badge and, you know, do breakout sessions. I mean, and you're winning an award on paper. You're killing it. So what, what was missing? All the external validation was there
1: everything inside of me was missing. Like, look at me right now, like crazy blonde hair, septum piercing tattoos out. I was working Mm -hmm. in a job that I had to cover up who I was. I am very much like not that bureaucratic political professional person that a higher ed environment demands. And I didn't know that Mm -hmm. about myself because I went to school for PR and advertising. I graduated second in my high school class. I was a high achiever all of my life. So I was just like, push the needle a little bit more. Keep, keep it moving. All right. It's not this. It's going to be something else. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I never asked myself any internal questions about what success and happiness looked like to me.
0: Wow. Well, it sounds like institutions were telling you what happiness was all along. Do you And you can take a minute to tell me I'm full of it. But do you think you got addicted to institutional approval at some point in your life? I find and the reason I ask is I think I was at one point when I came up through school. uh, I did really well in school. I was always a good student and I got great grades and I'd get the little certificates and the gold stars. And sometimes the school would uh, have a little ceremony and say, oh, you know, these are the top 10 kids in this class and that class. And I remember it was, it was a drug I was chasing as, as a kid, I'm hooked on it. I'm like, I got to get the academic achievement circle. I have to get the golden Eagle circle. If I don't end up on the top 10 plaque, then I'm a freaking loser. Like it, I wasn't pursuing any sort of, Hey, I'm trying to be a better friend. Hey, I'm trying to learn how to, um, regulate my own emotions and be a stable force for people around me. Hey, I'm trying mm-hmm. to learn how to, you know, interact with different kinds of people and be the best version of myself. I think those are valuable things that we should all work on. But instead I was just chasing these stupid little certificates. And you know, what's so embarrassing about those things. My mom keeps them in her attic. She doesn't have the heart to throw them away for some reason.
1: They're not even on the fridge.
0: <laughs> At 34, I don't think my third grade academic achievement award should be on the fridge. <laughs> actually that would be pretty funny uh, listen celebrate
1: every win ryan
0: (laughs) you peaked in high school i peaked in third grade we are not the same
1: so but
0: anyway i want to kick it back to you because i i I think it was um probably college where i kind of had the wherewithal to be like i realized holy cow if i'm not getting awards from my school if I'm not getting little gold stars from my professors, I feel empty. Yeah. I feel like I don't matter. Mm-hmm. And what am I doing? Yeah. Did Did you have a similar experience?
1: Yes. I think a lot of how we operate and how I operated. And I was definitely addicted to getting validation from people. And it stemmed from like my childhood. My parents are good people or were good people. And they were very blue collar right? Mm -hmm. I'm one of five kids, so they worked a lot. And when they came home from work, they were tired. And when you're a kid, like you need love and belonging. They are human needs. Mm -hmm. And when you don't necessarily have those fulfilled, you start to look for them in other places. School was where I found attention and validation. And that was when I heard, good job, Danielle. We're proud of you. Keep going. Got pat on the back Mm -hmm. from teachers. So I just kept searching for more of that all of my life. Cause that's what felt good. And that's how I felt like I belonged. That's how I like essentially received love from the people in my life was like, okay, working hard, getting A's is when people notice me. I need to keep doing that.
0: You know, I look back on high school cause it was a similar experience for me. Um, I remember I would I'd be on car rides with my dad and and he, he didn't care, but I'd be like, oh, dad, I, I won this award at the school and I'm going to do that. And he never responded to it. I never quite figured out what he was looking for. But I remember being so disappointed when he wouldn't engage with me. And I was a kid. This is a kid's brain at work. Um and hearing you now talk about that, it makes sense. Like, oh, the validation that I wasn't getting at home, that I wasn't getting internally, really, it's so easy to blame our parents and and everything, but really it's us. It's you just your self-esteem isn't there. Candidly, I almost wish I got into drugs instead, uh, because if I had just gotten into smoking a little pot after school, I probably would have developed more emotional intelligence and more social skills faster (laughs) Then you know, because how unhappy to just lock yourself up in the library and study all day. Um, Wow. So there's a point where it just doesn't cut it anymore, I think. Yeah, you're constantly seeking approval from a boss, from a teacher, from a coach, from a parent, from Instagram followers,
1: from a partner, like all of it.
0: It's never enough. I mean, if you I think the easiest example is, let's say you take a really fire Instagram picture and you post it and it gets, you know, 4000 likes and all of your high school crushes say something. And yes, awesome goes away after a week or so and then you are back to the default position you are still you living your life stuck with your thoughts and your brain and -hmm. the applause has died down the curtains have shut the instagram post it was last week's news no one cares anymore Mm -hmm. and we can take that a step further the the best regional sales director of corporation, whatever, you win this big award. Eventually the, the conference ends and everyone flies home Mm -hmm. and it's over and Mm -hmm. you are back to sitting quietly in your room with yourself. And you have to confront the fact that do you feel safe alone, quiet in a room with yourself? Do you feel content or are you tense? Does your stomach hurt? Are you, do you need to fiddle with your phone and try to get more attention? I think, I think these are all symptoms that something is out of sync. Absolutely. How do we fix that? Because that's not a good state of being to, to, I can't imagine. Well, actually I can't imagine. I I can't believe anyone would want to be in a state of being where being alone quietly with yourself without a Netflix show in the background without music, without something to distract you. If you don't feel comfortable just being by yourself with your thoughts for five minutes, I think that's a major red flag. Yeah. So, so I, I ask again, I interrupted my own question. (laughs) How do we fix this?
1: We need to start engaging with a more internal dialogue with ourselves to understand where some of those thoughts are coming from, right? Because oftentimes when we're sitting in that room, And it's quiet for five minutes and we start to hear things that we don't like. It's Mm. easier to tune it out. It's easier to pick up Instagram, scroll, get that little dopamine burst, whatever it is. But when we actually start to engage with the narratives that we have about ourselves, that is like the first step toward success and freedom in your own life. Because you are going to start to focus on some of the questions that matter. And as it relates to your career, the questions that matter to me and that I help my my clients and my community navigate get get through are what are your values? Mm -hmm. What are your natural strengths? And basically, what's the legacy that you want to leave?
0: Is it normal for someone to hear those questions and tell you, I don't know what my values are? Yes. I'm not sure is it a sign that there's something wrong with that person or is it something else?
1: No, it's not a sign that something is wrong. We haven't been taught to look at those things and the way that we can find our values is really easy because Mark Manson says they're not aspirational. They're constantly reflected in the way that we choose to behave. So when you look at your values, if I said, Ryan, I want to see your bank statements. I want to see your calendar. I want to see your social media feeds. Hmm. What would that tell me about what you value? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? Who do you spend it with? What types of information are you consuming on a daily basis?
0: This this I'm, sounded like a full on FBI interrogation at first. I want your <laughs> bank statements. I want your calendars. I want <laughs> who, who have you been talking to? <laughs>
1: it's but, it's a lot of people will give you like a list of here is a list of values. Pick something that feels good. But values. Well, aren't wait goals. a
0: minute. I spend an embarrassing amount of money on takeout. I mean, does that mean – what does that say about my values? Um, I think you're on to something when you say values aren't necessarily aspirational because let's be real. Every blood-sucking corporation that's destroying this planet says, you know, we're making the world a better place. We're creating value for – and it's bullshit. We all know it's bullshit. Yes. I think the way you behave is what your values are. Is that what you're trying to say? Exactly. Exactly. When you say Ryan, look at your bank statement and stuff, and, and it's—I know this is getting into the weeds, but you know, one could say, actually, I might—I might find I go to Taco Bell a lot more than the average person, and maybe that makes me uncomfortable. So, some people might say, "Well, wait a minute, if I, if you're saying my values are the way I behave, well, what if I've been short with people? What if I've been mean? What if I'm not keeping up with friends, or I've—I've I've just." I, I, in the moments of weakness, I've been hostile and mean and greedy just because I'm stressed. Does that mean that greed and hostility are my values?
1: It doesn't. It just means there's a disconnect between your values and your behavior. And that is really the birthplace of fixing those things and making them more in alignment. Because if you say I, like," first of all, I love me a cheesy gordita crunch. Yes. But <laughs> second of all, like if I say that I value health and wellness, but I am eating Taco Bell every single day, that's going to create dissonance within myself. It's going to decrease my self-trust because who I say Mm. I am and what I do, there's a huge disconnect, right? So it's not a a way to reflect and shame ourselves. It's to give ourselves an accurate portrayal of, Hey, like I, I am somebody who wants to embody health and wellness what are the, some of the things I actually need to be and the characteristics and the actions that I need to embody on a daily basis to be somebody who is healthy and well, doesn't mean you don't treat yourself to Taco Bell, right? But it's, yeah. it gives you an accurate reflection of, am I living in alignment with my values on a day to day basis at work? And am I working at an organization that is a direct reflection of my values, right? Like if you really value health and wellness, are you going to go work for an organization like Taco Bell who maybe isn't helping people be the healthiest? Or are you going to try and find an organization that does that, has a good health and wellness plan for its employees? It start, You start to navigate yeah. toward your goals in a different way, using your values as the guardrails for how you pursue them.
0: I like the way you put that. and I, And I like our Taco Bell example, because I'm sure there's someone listening right now who they might say, I mean, the health and wellness talk about examples, great, but let's try something different. They might say, I value friendship. Friendship's important to me. I want to be a good friend and I want lots of good friends, but I don't have any friends. I, I don't have people who I feel I can, I don't have anyone I can just hang out with. No one calls me. No one checks on me. My I wake up their My phone's dry. No one cares about me. Mm-hmm. I'm not worth being friends with, see how this spiral can go, see how it goes. So that that's the, the trouble I'm having, understanding how we fix this. So if someone says, I value friendship, I want to be a good friend and I want to have good friends, but I don't have any friends. Does this mean What does that mean for their values and and what kind of signals should that person be taking from that situation? Because I know there's someone listening who is probably a gem just waiting to be brushed off, but they just (laughs) haven't had the chance maybe or. or, Yeah. Help me out here.
1: Yeah. So the first question that I would ask is what are the qualities and characteristics that you would define as a good friend? Like, how would you Ooh, want to be a I good play? friend to people? Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. So what, what are yeah, the qualities let's do you would look for in someone else. And then what qualities yourself would make you a good friend?
0: Oh, that's a good one. Okay. So qualities in a good friend, um, a good friend listens actively. They aren't just hanging out to have bodies around them, but they, they want me And not for something I can give them. They don't want to hang out with me because I'm attorney Ryan and I have lots of followers. They don't want to hang out with me because I have money and they'll probably get a free dinner out of it. I want someone who is going to want to hang out with me because they like me as a person. And even if the followers and the money went away, they'd still sit and have a drink with me. That that to me would be a good friend. And someone who checks in and says, how are you? No, really? How are you? That would that would be a good friend. And actually, I I don't want to screw up the exercise, but what what would you say a good friend is? I I really want to know what you think.
1: Well, I want to reflect that back. So actively listening, actively listening, genuinely loving you for who you are and Mm -hmm. checking in from time to time. Yeah. That would be cool. What do you love about who you are outside of the work and the money and all that kind of stuff?
0: Oh, man. It's so funny when you ask that because my immediate thought was don't brag. Isn't that funny?
1: Brag, Ryan.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I feel fear, but I've learned how to cope with it. And I am perfectly fine walking into scary situations and putting myself out there. I, I know I'm brave. I don't shy away from a challenge. I don't shy away from a fight that's worth fighting. I go into scary situations and a lot of times I don't have all the information. I'm comfortable going into situations without all of the information that I might want and just trusting that I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, I genuinely care, especially about my team. I look out for my team and I'm, I'm generous. I'm not I'm not a penny pincher. I'm not a miser. Uh, and I, I've OK, I'm good for a good joke once in a while that's what I would say. (laughs) Love it. Yeah.
1: And when you think about the types of friends that you would want to attract in your life, Mm -hmm. where do you think you can find some people who would appreciate those qualities that you love about yourself?
0: You know, it's funny you say that, Danielle, because I have found that by creating content about workers' rights and just uh, sort of edging into a little bit of politics, a little social commentary. I find people like you who, you know, are, our, our areas of work. They touch each other, but they're different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like talking to someone like you, I mean, we just recently met, but I feel like, you know, things I don't know. And you can we can add to each other's creative process a bit. We can almost, it's almost like a jam session in a way as Mm -hmm. if we were musicians. I feel like, you know, I don't really know about career coaching. I have some things I've picked up from helping people in litigation, but really my expertise is law. And, and if someone were to come to me, like, how do I tailor my resume? It's like, all right, dude, 50, 50 shot. I'm going to get you banned from every company in the world, but I'll try, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, So how do I attract those people? I just, Engaging in in events that I'm interested in, and certainly taking an interest in what other people are doing. I don't think you and you would be in on this show with me if you felt I was just trying to use you for your content. I mean, I, I really, when you say you're an anti career coach and dream jogs don't exist, and and certainly talking about losing your mom and what you went through, where you realized that your life was, I don't want to say a lie, but it wasn't serving you. You weren't living authentically and it was a wake up call and it was scary. I hear a person who I really want to connect with and get to know better. I feel like there's a lot of depth to you there. So to answer, that's a long way of saying, I, I guess I found you by being my authentic self and being kind of loud about it. Cause that led me to gab, which led me to you.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think? I completely agree. And to return to how we started this exercise, Mm -hmm. if you're a person who doesn't have any friends and doesn't know where to start, doesn't know how to be likable, we now understand what you love about yourself, the types of people you want to attract, and you identified something that is actionable for you to do, like go to an event or reach out to Mm -hmm. somebody in your community that is within your resources to do over the next day. To start building that friendship, to be in community with somebody who is going to give a shit about who you are, what you have to say, to help you stand in that courage more and make the impact that you want to make. And that it can really hard. be that simple. But was it when I mean, we just spent five minutes doing it?
0: <laughs> I think it sounds hard because I, I, I'm really glad we have the friends example. I think the scariest thing is if you want friends, but you don't have friends, I think you become ultra sensitive to rejection. Because the stakes feel so much higher. Yeah. Because every time you put yourself out there, if you get rejected, it's just confirmation. Like, see, this is why I don't have friends. No one wants to be my friend.
1: Yeah. I don't Not think that's a fair standard. Like, Yeah,
0: think, there we go. I
1: think especially with the work that you and I do and showing up online and getting a lot of hateful comments from people on a regular basis, First of all, the lesson that I've learned is I do not want, nor do I need to be liked by everybody. And if somebody doesn't see my value as a human being, it's not my job to convince them. Like I will attract the right people by embodying my values, by knowing who I am and what I have to offer and the right people are going to find me. And you don't need hundreds of people in your life to feel like you are a good friend or that you have friends. I have probably five women in my life who are like my soul sisters that were that close because I was able to, you know, we were, we get vulnerable with each other. We talk about what hurts. It's not, I'm not worried about if they like me. Right. I'm, I'm concerned are like, can we hold space for each other in the hard moments? Even if we don't talk every single day because they have families, they've got kids now I'm doing my business owner thing. We have different lives. But can we find our way back to each other? Do we know who we are and can we support each other and reach out for help when we really need it?
0: I love that you have that. And I would imagine that there's been a cast of characters in your life who came in and came out at different times that left you with this roster of five people.
1: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of navigating. I mean, people um, are complicated, Right. Yeah. And I've learned to have a lot more compassion and empathy for people after a lot of therapy, <laughs> to be frank, of um, realizing that like the people who caused me a lot of pain in my life were operating from their own pain and that they mm-hmm. needed to deal with um, and that they ultimately weren't meant for me. And I tried to take lessons from from those people and just move forward with it.
0: It hurts realizing someone's not meant for you. Especially if for whatever reason, there's a disconnect where you really want them to be meant for you Mm -hmm. because spoiler, it's your parent. It's a sibling. uh, It's someone who you feel you're in love with. It's tough. When do you realize someone is not meant for you?
1: Oh, your gut knows it long before you admit it to yourself. (laughs) Logically. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, And that's a really loaded question because there are so many different circumstances that can affect like when you can leave certain, like your certain scenarios for me, one of the, so I, I took on a lot of maternal roles after my mom died. I am the second of five, uh, second oldest of five kids. And I wound up moving. I lived in Philadelphia at the time, moved home to my dad's house to help out. And have always been the person that my siblings go to when they need help, when they need money, whatever. I'm happy to do it. But it got to the point where everyone expected so much from me that I couldn't hear myself think. And I was like drinking myself into oblivion. I was disassociating every single way that I knew how to the point that like, I just, I didn't recognize myself in the mirror anymore. So that's when like, I knew Mm -hmm. I needed to make the change. And I went a little bit of the drastic route and I, moved a thousand miles away from all of my friends and my family, just so I could hear myself think for the first time. Where'd you go? Um, I moved from New Jersey to St. Petersburg, Florida. Wow. Gulf coast. Yeah.
0: What, what were you hoping to find in St. Petersburg that wasn't in New Jersey where you had grown up and where all your family were?
1: Well, some consistent vitamin D. Oh, no, that of it. all, it. <laughs> all, no.
0: all of this deep talk, and it's like you just needed some sunshine.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, honestly, I was starting my business. It was a side hustle at the time, and I knew if I didn't create distance for myself, physical distance, that I would always show up for other people who needed me before I did it myself. So I moved to find like that to create that space for myself for the first time in. Probably my entire life.
0: Did you meet a new circle of people in St. Petersburg or I mean, did you have to completely leave your old hi- life behind? I mean, how that affect just your circle?
1: Um, I mean, a lot. It was really isolating for a while being in a brand new community, um, but I needed the silence. Like I felt alone, but I wasn't like lonely. If that makes sense, I was like, okay, I have this space to explore myself for the first time. What are my hobbies and interests away from all of these other things when I don't have to focus on work being the centerfold of my life the entire time? Hmm. So it it was an exercise in being brave and courageous, putting myself out there, having conversations in new communities. Um, And I I built a little circle down here, which is fantastic. My core people will always be back up there, but our relationships are still just as strong. We find new ways to communicate and and stay in touch, but we're all doing our own thing.
0: How did you find your first new friend in St. Petersburg?
1: Bumble BFF.
0: (laughs) No way. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny.
1: I didn't even know that it was a thing like I, I had no idea that it existed and yeah, Bumble BFF, you just like swipe on people, you meet up with them. Um, and it, so it was easier before because you could just go out and meet people for like drinks and stuff. It came a little mm-hmm. bit harder because I stopped drinking uh, a little yeah. over six months ago. So it's harder to like find people that you want to interact with who aren't just interested in drinking like full transparency. That's really, really hard to do. Um, yeah. People who like necessarily People don't get it, I guess. Um, but that is just like a whole new exploration of finding new people in my life that will be supportive.
0: That, that's interesting you bring that up because it, it is harder. Uh, I, I say I gave it up. I'm, I'm 99% abstinent. And there's a bunch of reasons for that that we can get into later if we need to. But it seems drinking or going to a bar or going to a club, uh, it's kind of the default meeting space for most adults. It's the default. Yeah. I mean, you think that's true?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Why do you think so? Drinking is baked into our culture Um, on a really systemic level. I think drinking keeps us disconnected from our power. Um, Mm. You know, it doesn't. It, it interrupts our sleep patterns massively. Um, you know, we go out for drinks and happy hours with coworkers after work to be able to connect with people. I'm sure, you know, that HR mistakes are made in those scenarios. <laughs>
0: um, uh, a lot of my sex harassment cases start at office happy hours and uh, actually here, quick sexual harassment PSA. Your office doesn't need to have a happy hour once a week. And if you have a boss who keeps inviting you to happy hours and, Oh man, no one showed up. It's just us like run. That, that's, that's, sexual harassment waiting to happen
1: yeah and it's you such a formula need to always go to the happy hours you can say no i didn't know that i could say no to going to the happy hours all the time
0: <laughs> sometimes your absence creates more value like i'm I'm not saying like try to be ooh i'm mysterious but like you don't you don't have this obligation to do every little thing some people they get fomo and they're scared like oh if i don't go to all of the uh nights out if i don't go to every event people are going to forget about me and not necessarily. If you if you miss a couple, it's fine. You're busy. That's okay. And people will be more excited to see you at the next one.
1: Yeah, and it's not the hours you put in that makes you valuable. It's like the, the contributions that you make.
0: <laughs> so, so since you're you're 100% abstinent, you don't drink at all now.
1: Yeah, I um I started out doing Sober Girl Summer last summer, mm-hmm. and I just. Continued it. It felt good. So I'm just following what feels good. Um, and as a human being, two of my values are peace and curiosity. And in order to embody my values, alcohol was really disrupting my peacefulness because it was giving mm. me a ton of anxiety. It was, you know, I was disrupting my sleep and then it was inhibiting my ability to be curious because when I was hung over, I wasn't researching and showing up for my clients the way that I really wanted to. So um, I, I just needed to make sure that my behavior was aligning with what I said my values were. <laughs> wow,
0: it just—it wasn't serving you anymore, even though yeah. it had moments that probably felt really good. I, I know for yeah. me, when I got home after a long day at work, that first sip of McCollin, even now I get a little chill. That first yeah. sip of McCollin was just the best, mm-hmm. and it is. It, it, it is a borderline evil how how refreshing and wonderful that first sip would be.
1: I'll, I'll go back then, to what I asked before. Am yeah. I doing this because I love myself or I hate myself, right? And, you know, not, not knocking anybody who chooses to drink. I can't say that I will never not drink again. But if I mm-hmm. do, it'll be because I want to enjoy the sensory experience of a dark, dry red wine. And I want to engage yeah. in the experience of drinking it rather than using it to disassociate from the rest of my life.
0: It's so funny. I had so I had the opposite. Well, sort of it wasn't I wasn't drinking to, like, drown my inner demons. I'm not at all that interesting. Um, I was just a glutton. It just tasted so dang good. And actually, maybe I was trying to drown my demons. I was just I was working really, really hard. And it was just like, ah, yes, here's my moment of peace. I get to sit in my big chair and enjoy my my whiskey. And this was my moment of peace. But I had ballooned up. I gained a ton of weight. My cardio was crap. Um, my hair was falling out. My skin was bad. And I'd noticed my face was ballooning out a bit. It was, it was hell on my health. So what's sinister is I thought that I was drinking because I loved myself. Ooh, it's a little treat. But I... I had to wake up and realize like you are destroying your body. It's it doesn't you can tell yourself that you have. I always told myself, oh, I have a high tolerance. I'm a tank. I'm a big guy. I'm fine. I'm fine. Four drinks a night is too much. Mm-hmm. If I was in a position where not a single night went by that I did not drink alcohol.
1: Yeah, I was. And I too. told myself <laughs>
0: that, oh, and I'd lie to myself so much. I oh, well, I'm not drunk, so it doesn't count. How stupid is that? At the time it made sense. I really rationalized it.
1: No, like, and and our culture does because it's Mm -hmm. easy, right? Like it's, it's easier to enjoy that drink than to do the hard work of looking at yourself and understanding why you're drinking so often. Um, there's a book, it's called quit like a woman. The author is escaping me, but it talks about how deeply embedded drinking is in patriarchy um, and how it keeps women disconnected from their power. It was like a transformative read wow. for me. Um, but I think when we think about it in the context of our overall career, like if we don't have our health and our wellness, we mm-hmm. have nothing and when drinking disrupts our sleeping patterns and our anxiety, and like there's a way to like people can drink and do whatever they want, but if it's coming at the expense of your well-being, of your ability to feel good about yourself and show up in your work feeling engaged and energized, you have to start asking why.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I think so. And I think that, you know listeners might be thinking, what, what happened to working class? Like this is suddenly a health lecture. You're giving me a hard time. Cause I like a beer once in a while, get off my back. I work hard. It's not what I'm saying at all. Um, you can drink the problem that I had and Danielle, I don't, I don't know if this was your journey. The problem I had is if you're listening, you're like, Ryan, leave me alone. It's my life. Let me have my drinks. Absolutely. By all means, you and I are not the same. I had a freaking problem. I was out of control. You, if you're listening and, and you're in control, you're a better person than I am. Do what you what makes you happy. But I just realized that I had gone way too overboard with it and it was destroying my happiness. Yeah. And that's and when that's, I realized I had to stop.
1: Yeah. that's And that's it. If, if it is disrupting your happiness and your ability to feel good, then you have to start making some changes. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It goes for like your career or your work-life balance, right? Because... We're not after work-life balance. We're after like life. That is and work is a part of life. And if work is disrupting our happiness and our overall life. We need to start changing some things within that too.
0: Yeah. You nailed it. There's a metaphor here for alcohol and our careers. And I think it goes to what you were talking about. So my values, if you ask me, I'd always, I was a firefighter before I was an athlete my whole life. And I had always been, you know, physically strong and athletic until I went to law school and then it just fell off a cliff. Um, but if you'd asked me, Ryan, what are your values? One of the values I'd say is I, I value fitness. I value being fit and healthy and, and getting out there and pushing myself in the morning and tearing up the gym. The problem was alcohol destroyed my my capacity to live within those values. My cardio was falling apart. I, I could I I couldn't keep up with workouts. I remember in 2021, 2022, I, I think I'd work out once every other month. And it, it caused me tension and pain and unhappiness. And I think it's because I was living out of sync with my values. I was drinking too much. And because I was drinking too much, I wasn't healthy enough to at least stick to a fitness routine anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was, and it was this negative feedback loop where I was getting unhealthier, 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 unhealthier. And it's because I wasn't I wasn't living within my values. I I see a metaphor to careers here. Do you?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. When we are not embodying our values within or outside of work, (laughs) you're going to see it impact your overall quality of life at some point. It's just a matter of when.
0: So how do you help clients find that? As the anti-career coach, this is what's so interesting about what you do because the typical career coach is going to say, we're going to make you look as appealing as possible to recruiters. We're going to help you get through that round and we're going to help you make more money. That sounds great. Why would you be anti that? Question one. And question two, how are you different?
1: Yeah. Um, you get there, but that's not the first step to doing it. Like we're not in the, Mm -hmm. I'm not in the business of let's just make a couple aesthetic tweaks to your online presence. Let's center in on your zone of genius. Let's figure out what your highs and lows are in your career path overall, your career, your career right now and in your day. And let's start to look for the themes and the consistencies there. When you are at your best, what values are being supported? When you are at your worst, what values are being suppressed? When you are Mm. at your best, what tasks are you energized by? When you are at your worst, what tasks are draining? And we start to look for the different themes and the consistencies among those things and We don't look for a dream job. We find our zone of genius within that. And when we find our zone of genius, it's not a job title. It's an expression of our values, our natural strengths, the impact that we want to make. And usually there's like five or six career paths that you could transition into based on your zone of genius. And any of them would be great and fulfilling for you. So wow it becomes a a process I'm certified in life design. So it becomes a process of like experimentation, exploration, gathering evidence about each of these career paths to choose well about your career direction moving forward, because your career is going to evolve. You're going to change as a human being. And when you know your zone of genius, you are able to navigate those transitions a little bit easier you know, the types of work that you are looking for. And you also catch yourself in the act of enjoying your work.
0: I like that. Um, I, I really liked how you said, you said a couple of things I liked. I, I like this idea of exploration and experimentation. There's a lot of people where I think they, they latch on to, I want to do software engineering. Why? Cause it makes a lot of money and there's demand for it. It's like, okay, great. We, you want to make money. Good. and. and Let me be clear. Money buys happiness. You need to make money. You need it. It is super duper important. And I'll catch flack for this. You can disagree. I think it's more important to have a job that meets your basic needs and gives you enough money to survive than it is to be in a job that fulfills you. Because, frankly, your fulfillment means jack shit if you can't afford food. Like, there's clear. I I don't want anyone listening to be like, oh, my God, you guys are so out of touch. You don't get it. Like, step one, make enough money to survive. And it's going to be a job that sucks a little bit. And while you're in there, that's why I recommend quiet quitting, because while you're in that job that's just giving you enough to survive, you're probably going to do what you said, Danielle, tasks that drain you Mm -hmm. and your your survival trick that you have to pull. Let's say you're working a really low wage job and you're just you're cleaning office space. The trick you're going to have to pull is conserve enough energy so that when you get out of there, you can do some of the work of being like, okay, I don't want to do this forever. This does not pay very well. I'm just getting by and I'm not happy. So what's my next move? Where do I go from here? So that's why I say quiet, quit. Don't give 110% for a job that drains you because frankly, we all need you to be your best self. You're you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting everyone. If you burn yourself out in a job, that's going nowhere. So you talked about, exploration and experimentation, what might that look like for someone who's working eight, 10 hour days and they're, they're tired, Danielle, how are they supposed to experiment? How are they supposed to explore?
1: My first suggestion would be who do you already work with that you can start some of these conversations with?
0: Interesting. Um,
1: Like you can quite quit, right? Divest from some of these things, conserve your energy, but Mm -hmm your people in your life, your network are the first place that you are going to be exposed to other avenues. So like, who are the people in their life? What are they doing? What are some potential paths that they have pivoted into? Who are the people that when you're scrolling through social media, you're inspired by, or you're jealous of, right? Like, Oh man, I wish I had that. Right. Can you do research? As you're scrolling on your phone to figure out more about their path and where did they start? Did they start in low wage work? What were the steps that Mm -hmm. they took? How can I start taking those small steps forward?
0: Well, Danielle, obviously they bought a course by Grant Cardone for $497 to unlock the keys to wealth and happiness. Don't you know? (laughs) I, I think, kid. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I no, like I the touch. advice you're giving. <laughs> no, I I love the advice you're giving, and it's advice I follow. Uh, social media is really awesome because uh, I like my circle. But let's say you you work somewhere and you don't like your coworkers. Your coworkers are negative. They're drama. That's gonna happen to a lot of people. I've been in that position. Uh, I, there was a specific fire station I worked at, and when I was a firefighter, and I'm not gonna out anybody, but it was the most negative awful toxic collection of insecure unhappy men that i had ever come across in my life i loved my fire fighting experience i loved most of the brothers and sisters i worked with but this specific fire station was full of just miserable human beings um so i definitely made the the decision that i was like okay i'm not going to engage with these guys more than I have to. Cause I don't, you know, they're toxic. So then you're back to square one. How do I get inspiration? Social media is awesome for that. How great that we have this technology now where it gives me the power, like a floating eye, I can go check out other circles and see what's going on outside mm-hmm. of my immediate life. The problem is, especially if you're hurting and if you're insecure, there are people out there who prey on that. I mentioned Grant Cardone. He can send me a cease and desist if he wants. He knows what he does. He charges people twelve thousand dollars to sit in a conference and then points at them on a camera and says, "Look at these crazy people. They twelve. They paid twelve thousand dollars to sit in this room with me. Um, watch out for grifters. Watch out for people who are selling you money and status and and that's the end goal. Because that's no matter what field you're in, no matter what you're looking for, that stuff will come." It'll, it'll come, but you need to first, you need to first be the, how do I articulate this? You need to first be the best version of yourself and the best version of yourself isn't going to come just because you got a bright green Lamborghini. And in fact, I will don't yeah, you yeah, there, actually
1: <laughs> I'll disagree with really you about like being the best version of yourself because i think that we're that's also moving the goalpost always it's like mm. can i let who i am right now be enough to move toward my goals
0: i agree do you know what let me let me be more clear i think when i say be the best version of yourself i think i mean being the best version of yourself that you can be like i'm not necessarily saying Um, You know, when I imagine what is the best version of Ryan? Yeah, probably 10 years ago when I was a kid, I'd say, oh, he's got the best car. He's got a smoking hot wife and a big mansion and millions of dollars like that guy's a winner because I was in my 20s and 20 year olds are not fully developed yet. That was me. But now I know that the best version of myself is patient when I feel impatient, is understanding when I feel judgmental like shut that judgmental voice down and and try to listen, Um, is not reactive when I have a strong emotion, learns to process that. So to me, that is the best version of myself. It's a way of being. That's emotional Um,
1: intelligence right there. Is that what we call that? (laughs) That is emotional intelligence. (laughs) And that is a quality of true leaders. Like that is what our workforce is really lacking, is people who are able to regulate themselves and the emotions of other people around them.
0: When someone says, I'm not a natural leader, what do you think they're really saying?
1: That's a projection of how they feel about themselves. Do you feel like a leader?
0: It's so funny you say that because some days, yes, and other days, no. It's I'm CEO of this firm. I'm responsible for a lot of people, and I'm sure there's people online who see me as some kind of workers' rights labor leader. Um, I'm just doing my best, man. I really am.
1: Leaders are also always invested mm-hmm. in their own personal growth and development. They don't believe that they don't have anything else to learn. So you just doubled down on my belief that you are a leader.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. You know, it's it's so funny. So um, when someone says to you, because th- th- this is where I'm really going with these questions, Danielle, is I think there's a lot of people who see career development and branding as something only for quote unquote, higher level careers. This is only for white collar people. This is only for people making six figures. This is only for people with college degrees. Surely you're not talking about me. I'm just a laborer. I'm just a construction worker. I'm just blue collar. I just work at McDonald's clear. You're not talking about me, but I really disagree. I mean, I, I think that these are ideas that apply to everyone. And, and, and I think they especially it to someone who's kind of stuck in an entry level role or who's in a period of rediscovery in a new career or who isn't making a lot of money. Um, and that you need to start looking at, OK, what are my values? What are my core beliefs and how do I get value from these? Um, are, are you familiar with the concept of Ikigai? I am. Did you read the book? I did. <laughs> I loved it. And and let me know if I'm butchering this. And for those who don't know, Ikigai, it's this Japanese concept and it's about finding your purpose. OK, and this this sounds like some horrible TED talk, but let me try to make it as realistic as I can. Basically, it says that the key to a long and happy life is to find, OK, you know, what am I good at? What does the world need? uh what can i get paid for there's a couple other elements to ikigai i'm i'm blanking on it do you remember them
1: Danielle? um yeah it, there's one more um what does the world need what am i good at what can i be paid for and gosh i'm drawing a blank on what the last one is but i will say
0: oh here we go is- it's it's what do you love what are you good at what does the world need what can you be paid for yes. that's ikigai there yeah. we go.
1: So it's the intersection of all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. What's funny about that is that's, I believe, a Japanese concept and the West modernized it to be your career is purpose in nature.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know, I, we had we had to put a wrapping on it. Yeah.
1: Yes. I, I love I love the sentiment of it. I really, really do. Mm-hmm. But as someone who so I'm certified in life design, which means that. When we have problems in our lives and we feel stuck in our careers, if they're not actionable, they're not necessarily problems, they're circumstances. And what what Guy does is really takes all of this information, but it doesn't really give you – it goes, all right, you have all this information. Now go find your purpose by using these things. And you're like, wait, what? Like I don't know how to formulate this into something that makes sense. And that's where zone of genius is so important because it formulates it into a statement that expresses the very best parts of you, your values, your natural strengths. And with my frameworks and methodology, I also go back to you talked about baseline level needs, right? Like finances, it pairs psychology with these things. As we move up that pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you need your Mm -hmm. baseline physiological needs met, your safety and security needs met. And as you start to go up the ladder, it's esteem needs, community needs, and at the very top, your fullest expression of your values and impact. And when we talk about how this applies to everyone, you can look at all of the different layers in those pyramids and say, what do I need as a human being mm-hmm. in each of these areas in order to feel fulfilled with where I am now? Because my clients have just, they, there have been six-figure earners. There have been stay-at-home uh-huh. moms who entered the cor- corporate workforce at the same time, for, for the first time in 20 years. There have been wow. business owners who lost their husband and had to go back to the corporate workforce. There have been people who have want, just wanted a career change without going back to school. There have been people who wanted to get a job without a traditional degree.
0: Those people are smart. Yeah. I mean, I just, I I say they're smart just because all of the situations you described sound hard. It sounds really hard. And it it would be so understandable for someone to just implode and say, I can't, I, I owned a business for 25 years and then something happened. I lost everything. And now I have to start from ground zero. How demoralizing is that? But also how smart of them to seek you out, to, to do something about it and not let pride get between them and what could be a really good life.
1: Yeah. It's okay. What, it's what if it's that okay. Failure is the last stepping stone to everything. I have failed and fallen flat on my face so many times these past couple of years in my business. I've launched products that have not worked. Mm-hmm. I've, I've worked with clients that did not get jobs, Right. Like they are all learning lessons and it's really what we do with it. Like if our worst fears come true, like Mm -hmm. usually that's not the case. Are you familiar with Tim Ferriss? Yes. He does this awesome fear setting exercise. He did a Ted talk and it's like, rather than define your goals, define your fears. Like if I don't want to do this thing because I'm scared of the outcome and I can't say with certainty that this is going to work. You define your fears, you define everything you can do to prevent it, and you define everything that you can do to repair it if that worst fear came to life. So it gives mm-hmm. you agency back in your life rather than like, I, I'm i incapable of doing all of these things. It's like, no, we, p- we pick it up, we keep it moving. We are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. <laughs> We're going to learn something about ourselves yeah. in the process.
0: I, I agree with you so, so heartily. It's, um, Let's go this way with it, Danielle, because always in these podcasts, I'm, I'm trying to think of who who is listening, who who's probably really got their back against a wall right now, um, because I, I know it sounds like you've been there, too. And I've been there where I was making just absolute garbage wages. And I did not I did not have a college degree when I decided to to leave the fire department and go to law school. I had to first finish my undergrad. So I, I really <laughs> – I did a great job of stacking the deck against myself. Um, so I remember how scary that felt. So let's oh, – I want to ask, you have some – unconventional career advice that you offer people. I think and if anyone who goes to your page, they absolutely should download your free guide and and you give away a lot of information for free. That's that to me that's the signal that someone's the real deal and not a grifter. I mean, there's so many people who lock up the best stuff behind a paywall. I love people like you who say, "Look, if you need me, um, here's the free stuff. Here's my daily content. Here's here's all this stuff because I really want to help. But if you want like my one on one advice, I have to charge for that because I have to eat. But I'm here mm-hmm. um, to the extent you're comfortable giving it away. What are some of the top bits of anti career advice that that you'd want people to walk away with?
1: First and foremost, dream jobs don't exist. So stop mm-hmm. looking for one and find your zone of genius instead. The second one, being a
0: specific career is not the end all be all, I think, is what we gathered earlier in this podcast, not your
1: purpose. Your job title is Mm -hmm. not your identity. Um, The second piece of advice um, that a lot of like traditional regular career coaches is follow your passions. I think a lot of people don't have passions. They can't figure out what their passions are, especially when their back is up against the wall. You want to uh, just follow your curiosity instead. Curiosity. Things that just pique our engagement and our interest a little bit contain clues for what we should follow.
0: Things you're interested in. I think you also mentioned things that make you feel energized.
1: Yes. There are two areas that I look for for fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Engagement. So that is mm-hmm. how much or little you are focused on a task while you're working on it. And then your energy mm. levels. Does Do your energy levels feel sustained or drained after working on it.
0: That is such a good measurement. What keeps your focus? Like what could you sit and do for an hour without looking at your phone?
1: States of flow is like engagement on steroids. If you've ever, you might not have experienced a state of flow at work, but you can look toward Your life, just things that you are doing on a daily basis for a a state of flow for people who aren't familiar is when you're so immersed in the task at hand that you lose all sense of time and space. Like you look at the clock and you're like, holy shit, two hours went by that contains like undeniable clues for when you're operating in your zone of genius.
0: I like that. And I want to add, you know some people might listen and be like, well, yeah, obviously I can play Xbox for six hours and feel great. It's because it's recreation. I enjoy it. And it's like, try not to think so literally. I would challenge someone, you know, if you really enjoy, like, I remember I really loved Legos growing up. Like if let's say you have Legos or something you're playing with at home and that's your uh, flow state could tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not a career expert Is that an indication that maybe building things and assembling things and working with your hands is probably a hint that that's where your zone of genius might lie?
1: It depends. I would ask you, what do you love about the Legos? What is it about the process of using the Mm -hmm. Legos that makes you engaged with it?
0: Those are good questions. When I was a kid, I really liked uh, starting with a big I would dump out a big bucket of them. And I would just start poking with them and start seeing, okay, does something come to me? And it would be, I want to build a jet. I want to build a boat. I want to build a a spaceship. And then starting with my favorite component first, like, okay, I'm going to build a spaceship. What do I feel like making first? Ooh, a big, like futuristic looking engine and being creative, but also how the parts connect and work together.
1: Um, how does that apply that to your so law fun. career now?
0: Uh, God, this is so smart. So what I like about now is I, I certainly like when we get discovery and we start putting together a case, you know, corporations, they'll dump hundreds or thousands of pages of evidence on us. They'll, they'll, they'll do it because they don't want us to see the really damning stuff. Um, getting the key witnesses together, getting your depositions together. And just like the Legos, you're piecing together, All of these strips of evidence to tell a story and the story is my client was sexually harassed. My client was illegally fired and the company says it was poor performance and they wrote all these little write ups. But look at the deposition testimony and look at these other things we found. So I'm really glad you brought up that question because I think it shows that you don't have to literally think, oh, my God, I only like playing with Legos, but I'm not going to get a job as a Lego builder. That's stupid. It's like, no, it's not. It's not about the Legos. I think you nailed it, Danielle. First of all, this is a great free sample. Anyone thinking of coaching with you should probably do it because this is really cool. (laughs) It wasn't really about the Legos. It was about taking lots of different pieces and making something from them.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And for me, I love building a body of evidence to pursue justice for my clients, just like I liked those Legos.
1: Yeah. My example is I get into a state of flow when I build Ikea furniture. Like, doesn't mean I should be a carpenter or go work for Ikea, like, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's, I like taking seemingly unrelated pieces, following a framework and building into something that is beautiful and functional. And I apply that to career design and helping my clients build a fulfilling career and a beautiful life using the frameworks of their past. Right. And I could also apply that to become a therapist or an instructional designer Mm -hmm. or a neuroscientist or like whatever, So like, yeah, dream job, dream business. Like, no, I love coaching. It's a reflection of me and my interests and my zone of genius. But if career coaching and what I do went away tomorrow, I have options. I can take the pressure off. I can pivot into something else. There's no permanence in any of this.
0: I love this. First of all, I have a desk that's kicking my ass that I need you to put together for me. So we'll talk about that <laughs> put later. Put
1: myself on ante. But,
0: <laughs> but I love this because I think it's really liberating what you're telling me. You're saying so clue. I like putting or not. I Danielle likes putting together Ikea furniture. Why? I like these seemingly unrelated pieces. Look at this wacky little part B they gave me. How does this connect to everything? Interpretation. Taking all of these dissimilar parts and seeing the many different ways they can come together into something that works, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing every time. What that tells me is that really what you enjoy is problem solving and adapting different components to make a different whole. I'm taking different parts and making a different thing every time. And the reason that's so liberating is that does not confine you to a specific box. And I think that's the mistake we make with a lot of kids and a lot of people trying to start new careers. We say, what do you like? I like helping people. Oh, so you want to be a doctor, obviously, because doctors help people. Done. Next. It's Mm -hmm. not that simple. I like helping people can mean a million different things. And Mm -hmm. there are tasks that are energy drainers, which you, you meant, these aren't my words, these are yours. You said, uh, there's tasks that drain your energy. You might find, Hey, I like helping people, but Oh my God, I hate chemistry. I hate biochem. I hate all of this stuff. It's not, this this isn't human. This is atoms and stuff. This isn't what I want. Mm -hmm. So being a doctor is not for you. So what else helps people? And then you might find, oh, well, I like the Ikea furniture. I like different parts. And it's like, well, maybe therapy. Maybe you want to be a therapist. Maybe you want to be a social worker. There's so many other ways to do this. Yeah. And I like that by focusing on the things where you achieve that flow state where you're like, wow, I could do this all day. Just throw on some music and do this for hours. Asking yourself, not just this specific thing, but what clues does this give me?
1: Yeah, you nailed it. No pun intended wow. with the Ikea furniture. No, it's, it's funny. It's I, I guess the
0: invoice an- is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: that's why, that's why the anti That's why it's anti career because it's like, just stop thinking about the job title. Stop thinking about that. It thing and start thinking about how you are going to express who you are in your work, who you are is undeniable. How you enter a state of flow is going to be different than me. Like we're going to be attracted to different things and we can't put ourselves in those boxes. And we need to stop asking ourselves the questions that society keeps asking us and dig even just one layer deeper, like not the Legos, but what about the Legos? Why? Mm -hmm. And you're going to start to uncover a lot of that wisdom, honestly, that inner wisdom that you have within yourself that people can't give you those answers to find that career direction. And when it's a reflection of you and you lean into that, you take those small steps forward. You don't have to trade money for meaning. Because meaning and success is unique to how you interact with your work. You can look and say, I entered state of flow today. I was engaged and energized by my work today. It was a good day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can be present in your work a little mm-hmm. bit more rather than feeling like everything is outside of your control all the time.
0: And that can, and that can look so many different ways for different people. And I want to build on what you said, uh, as we're trying to hit this sort of level of fulfillment where we're happy and excited about how we live our lives every day, it's not going to happen right away. You're going to have to get that job as a line cook. It's it's you're going to have to get that job as a laborer. I mean, I dug holes. I, I I get it. It wasn't because digging holes was my dream or anything. I will say when I was doing that, I certainly had moments of flow. I gotta tell you, I loved that jackhammer. (laughs) I, I love just blowing stuff up with it, just just tearing things in. It was fun. It was fun.
1: And it's about like, there are always things that you can find that you enjoy. Like we limit Mm -hmm. ourselves and, you know, you don't, career paths are never linear, Like you can go from being that line cook to owning a six-figure business. Like you don't have to like follow like every single step to get there. You don't have to make 20K before you make 30, before you make 40. Like I had one client who made a 67K salary increase with one job transition. Just one. Like Yeah, doing this. And then her husband did the same thing and he's gotten like 80K in increases in like two years. So like their entire life and their financial State changed just by leaning into these things. It took a lifetime to get here with all of this programming, but it can change relatively quickly if you start to just ask yourself the right questions. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it is really, it's really liberating. And there's always gonna be stuff about your jobs that you don't like. Like, I'm sure there's stuff about Always. your, your company that you're just like, man, like, I hate doing my accounting. Like, I don't want to sit down every single month and do that. It drains me. I'm not. It's so
0: on funny. It. You mentioned that. That's exact. Just uh, getting invoices and accounting and and getting all that done. And all these vendors, they have different ways. They want you to pay them. And and it's just so frustrating. It's, it's so fun. Everyone, everyone knows they're they're like, where's Ryan? It's like, oh, he's, he's. Paying invoices and accounting. So give them a minute. Yeah. It takes them a little longer than the average bear.
1: <laughs> it's so but funny. It's, like, um, it's, yeah. it's just interesting because when you when you operate in that capacity, like mm-hmm. you understand that there are going to be trade-offs that you have to make in your day, that there's going to be stuff that you don't like to do. For me, I'm like, I'm going to take myself to a coffee shop. I'm going to buy myself a nice latte and I'm going to do my accounting there. Cause that's more mm. energy giving to me. Right. But it's also It mitigates like, the know, pain. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know like. Ultimately I want to eventually be speaking and like hopefully write a book one day and do all of these other things. And I know like I'm operating in my zone of genius now and I continue to take these steps and like that trade-off is, is worth it. Taking some side gigs if I needed to, to make ends meet, it's worth it in the grand scheme of building a fulfilling life that a career is a huge part of.
0: I agree a thousand percent. Um, Danielle, quick pause. It looks like we have a bit of a problem with Drew trying to make me host of this thing. Okay. So we're going to hit a quick pause here. All right. Um, and we're going to have to edit this part out. I'm so sorry. Hold on. Let me see if he's still with us. I think he left. Oh, hey, bro. Um, yeah, so... It sorry, I'm gonna stop calling you. So it looks like you gotta go and there's no way to switch this off. So should we we'll edit this part out. Should we just wrap this up? I like her. We're we're gonna have Danielle back. I think I think it's better to leave people wanting more. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, That's what we shoot for is 90 minutes, uh, minimum. Um, so let's do this. We'll edit this part out. Um, let's, let's do, let's just dedicate like a a minute or two to wrap this up. Do you have time for that drew? Okay. Danielle, is there anything you really wanted to talk about that we didn't touch that maybe I can give you a a soft launch into, or should we just get Um, into wrap up mode?
1: I did just do a, um, A zone of genius training, like a one hour workshop that is like really affordable if we wanted to give people a segue into like how to continue this work. Let's
0: let's do that. So I want to talk more with you. We'll 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 invite you back and we'll talk about zone of genius and things like that. I feel bad because as you finished your story and I gave you the hey, that's really cool. I think the average listener might feel like, hey, I can tell something happened and Ryan's concerned about something. It was Drew letting me know that we got to wrap this up. So let's go back just a little bit, Um, Drew. Let's let's pick it up right here. I'm gonna I'm just gonna wrap it up. Let's just wrap it up. It's okay. It's okay. We'll have you back, Danielle. Um, Okay, Danielle. There's a lot to digest there. Uh, Certainly more than we can do in a podcast. We have to have you back because when we talk about Zone of Genius. guy, finding your flow, the, the anti-career method. This is different stuff than what a lot of people are peddling right now. So where can people find more of you? Like wh- where can they follow you on social media and, and what are you offering people right now?
1: Yes, you can follow me on social media at I'm Danielle Roberts or you can find my website at Danielle and I have free resources for you to dig into some of these anti-career frameworks and start to think about. All of these things in the different way that we've talked about here today and then if you really want to dig into your own zone of genius i have a one-hour workshop that is 97 bucks where you can dig into all of these deep questions and start to make all of this information work for you in your career path planning
0: That's awesome. I like that you give away so much for free. So a lot of great stuff is truly accessible for everyone. And then if they're in a position to do so, and if they really like the other stuff, absolutely sign up for that workshop. That sounds great. Danielle, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.